thousands of people have mysteriously vanished in America's wilderness. Join us as we dive into the deep end of the unexplainable and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to Locations Unknown. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joe Irado, and with me, as always, is a guy who always makes his wife's ultrasound appointments, Mike Vandebogart. Uh, thanks, Joe. <laughs> um, already screwing up before we even started. Um, the pressure is on. Yeah. So we're trying out something new tonight. We're actually live streaming on YouTube and uh, we have not ever done that before, so uh, <laughs> we don't know how it's going to go. Um, we had a couple mishaps already where we streamed a, like a few minutes of, I don't think there's any audio at that point. No, it was nonsense, which is good because it was <laughs> yeah. just us complaining about how there's no audio. So. Yeah. So uh, uh, thank you everybody for tuning in and uh, just a couple quick updates here. I'd like to do uh, some new Patreon shout outs. So uh, Jeannie Bailey, uh, Naomi Ortiz, Alex B, Christina Kunda, and Diana Peterson. So thank you uh so much for supporting the show. Every bit helps. And uh, that's why we, we got this new live streaming platform through yeah. all those donations. And we're going to see if this is the right one for us. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, every every dollar helps. We've talked in past episodes what we, we plan to do. So uh, we won't go into that right now. But I'd also like to give a, a shout out to uh, Margaret uh, Grenath. She's a Patreon supporter. She recommended this case to us. So uh, thank you, Margaret. And... Um, I think we're going to be doing a contest this week or next week for our th- three-year anniversary of the podcast. Oh, that was like coming up? Yeah. When did we start it? <laughs> December 18th. Oh. All right. Yeah. And uh, also, we have a Patreon-only Zoom call coming up here that Joe and I need to schedule. <laughs> so I don't know Joe. I'm learning about, about all these things right now. Yeah. Well, stay informed. <laughs> I did. I am. Uh, I tune into the show and I find out what's what I'm supposed to do. That's true. Yeah. So, um, well, that's all I had, Joe. So, all right, everybody, let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown. You're ready. September 7th, 2014, a bow hunter and his party ventured out into the mountains of northern Montana. The group was planning a week-long hunt in the Cottonwood Creek area. After an issue with a pack animal, one of the men ventured to find and replace some gear. Unfortunately, he never returned. Join us this week as we investigate the disappearance of Aaron Hedges.
So the location of this episode uh, occurs in northern uh, Rocky Mountains in Montana, in the crazy mountains. <laughs> the mountains up there are just crazy. So uh, this one's going to be a little weird. I almost felt like I forgot the whole format of the show because I know we're live. Yeah, it's I'm throwing like, me off. <laughs> this is throwing me off too. Uh, I apologize to everyone listening. It's not going to be as smooth as the other ones. I can just feel it right now. So I'm, I'm giving you a heads up already. <laughs> uh, if you want to hear normal shows, listen to some of the other ones. And Joe, keep your mouth very close to the I'm microphone. I'm going to try and remember that. Because <laughs> I like teased one of our listeners for not getting the audio right. And then some other guys like, I'm a professional. You're, you're wrong. So I have to apologize now to whoever I yelled at. Anyway, so we're going to talk a little bit about the crazy mountains real quick. A couple facts, uh, talk about the area, and then we'll get into the uh, profile of the individual that's missing, and then Mike will go through the timeline. So the crazy, crazy mountains suffer from split management and lack of coordination between two national forests, the Custer Gallatin and the Helena Lewis Clark. There are also many private land sections in the range, making it difficult for management and a roadless area proliferated by inholdings. I don't know what any of that means. That's all from so, uh, that's all from Wikipedia, right? Uh, well, so this is common. Uh, a lot of the national forests in northern Wisconsin have um, areas where there's private land ownership, like in the middle of the national forest. And uh, so this area of Montana has a lot of private ownership, which makes the part this part of the state very inaccessible because you're not supposed to trespass. And to get to some of these spots in the crazy mountains, you have to go through private land. So okay. Because it does say in 1935, they reported the national park wouldn't be feasible to like have one there because half of the land, every alternate section is owned by the Northern Pacific Railroad Road or is in private hands. So there's too many small patches of privately owned area to make it one big national park. Was that kind of the idea? Yeah. And they're actually, they've been working on, they do uh, like land swaps where they will take chunk squares of land uh, in the area and try to take that over by the federal government and they swap it out and give the private owners land in another part of the area to try to Huge make it more tracks of land. Yeah. <laughs> so Robin hood men and tights, right? Oh no, that's not Robin hood men and tights. That's uh Holy grail. Monty I, Python. I don't even Huge know what you're talking tracks about. of land. <laughs> anyway. All right. So the name crazy mountains is said to be shorthand from the crazy woman mountains given them in uh, compliment of their original crow name after a woman who went insane and lived in them after her family was killed in the westward settlement movement. All right, so like one lady went crazy because her whole family was killed and they named the whole mountain range after her. Yeah, the Native American uh, Native Americans kind of originally settled this area, so a lot, of, a lot of the history involves the, uh, uh, the Native Americans that go by the, um, I think... I can't pronounce Oxopi, Oxopi pie. Yeah. The, the crow people call the mountains Oxopi pie, roughly translated as ominous mountains or even rougher and less accurately the crazy mountains. <laughs> so it comes from the crow people. Uh, they were famous to the crow people for having metaphysical powers and being unpredictable, a place used for vision quests. So they would go up in the crazy mountains for vision quests. So <clears throat> probably using some sort of, uh, opium or whatever. Hallucinogenics. Yeah, hallucinogenics. Yeah. Uh, the crazies are significant to the Native American culture. In 1847, Chief Plenty Coop, a great chief of the Crow Nation, climbed Crazy Peak to seek a vision so he might properly lead and guide his people. The range's numerous isolated basins offer some of the most productive mountain goat habitat in the state, sustaining a population of approximately 450 goats. 
With mountain goat population numbers dropping throughout the species native range in the United States and Canada, Montana Fish and Wildlife Parks considered the crazies as essential for the survival of the species. So the crazy mountains are almost completely surrounded by private lands, making access into the mountains somewhat difficult, as we said before, especially in the southern section where the highest peaks are located. Ancient Rocky Mountain locusts and extinct species of, in of insects are frozen in some of the glaciers. The mummified remains of mammoth hunter's child from 12,000 years ago were discovered at the foot of the range in Shields Valley. I actually read about that. Did you really? I think so. I remember reading about, um, it might have been a different guy. No, it was somebody else. It was like the oldest preserved body they ever found. It was okay. like Cro-Magnon Cro Man. Is, ah, I can't even say it now. <clears throat> but I, I, I've heard about that one too. Yeah, I've been uh, to Montana so many times. I always read up on the different. I didn't. I didn't know about either of those things. Um, that, I mean, that's pretty interesting about the Rocky Mountain locusts, and I had no clue about a twelve thousand year old mummy being found in the the foot of that mountain. So yeah, mammoth hunter's child. So it must have been a small child. Yeah, that's crazy. All right, so we'll get into the climate of the area just to go over, uh, get an idea of what this uh, missing person was dealing with. So the average temp when he went missing would have been in the upper 60s during the day and the lower 40s at night. So not too bad. And obviously at higher elevations, it's going to be colder because some yeah. of the peaks, a lot of the peaks in this area are over 10,000 feet. So okay. um, it's going to be colder at that elevation. So Montana has a northern Pacific coastal climate with cool summers and mild winters in the western part of the state, while the eastern part separated by the continental divide uh, experiences a semi-arid continental type climate. Uh, the Köppen climate classification with warm summers and cold winters. So it's it's similar to when we went. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. It was kind of like, air. You know, well, arid. Yes. I, I don't know where I would have hiked in Montana. When um, we did our loop, that was north. That was, that more, was northeast. That was like Idaho, though. No, that was Montana. Oh. Glacier National Park. Oh, that's yeah, Montana. I, I guess you're right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like in the, the northeastern part. So we're, if you look at the mountain range, it, we are on the left or the right side. Yeah. Basically. But it's still almost center. What like is that right squeaking? center? I keep hearing. That's my chair. Oh. Just ignore it. I'll try and, I'll try and move less. Uh, due to the eastern location, these mountains are drier and less densely forested than other mountain ranges of Montana. So this has the same kind of effect we've talked in other episodes with. Uh, locations on the eastern range of a mountain. I don't know what you called it. You kind of call it like a rain shield or what? Rain shadow. Rain shadow. So obviously it's like greener think, on the other side. Think about like Oregon in Seattle, in Washington state. So on the, the Pacific side of that range, it's like a, they call it temperate rainforest. And then on the eastern side of the Cascades in Washington and Oregon, it's very arid and desert-like. Uh, from all the pictures I looked at, this is this a similar kind of climate um, in this region of Montana. So uh, pretty dry, arid, not a ton of vegetation. Yeah, when you're when you're going through the story, I'm yeah. gonna try and pull up Google Earth and see if I can share it. Okay, on the stream, <laughs> I'll try and get a oh little boy. crazy with it. Oh man, yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> um, so the range spans over 40 miles and covers more than 600 square miles in total. The highest peak is Crazy Peak at over 11,214 feet with 25 pinnacles soaring to more than 10,000 feet. So they are the third highest range in the state. Which is kind of funny. That sounds wild, and that's only the third highest in Montana. So. Yeah. 
There's a lot of alpine environments. Montana is just the best. It, it's pretty cool. All right, so I'm going to jump forward to the uh, possible dangers. So the types of animals that are there, uh, it's a gnarly place. I remember there's a lot of stuff we had to go through when we backcountry hiked in, in glaciers. So there's black bears, yeah, mountain lions, mountain goats, wolverines, uh, large herds of elk, moose. Um, although grizzly bears are not known to be present in this range, grizzly bears and other wildlife travel uh, through Yellowstone and Glacier uh, that could potentially go that way. So I know we ran into some grizzlies when we were in Glacier. Uh, I didn't know they didn't make it over there officially. Well, yeah, from what I read is the, uh, the grizzlies will sometimes move between those two parks, and they actually use the crazy mountain area as kind of like a, a path in between them. So they don't live in that range. but it's just a freeway. Just, it's a freeway of they're bears. They're just passing through town. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the terrain is very rugged. Uh, there's numerous vertical slopes, uh, barren windswept ridges. That is totally true everywhere. Yeah. I just, that's all I recall. Like when you think of a garden wall, yeah. just a giant sloping edge of a mountain, it's beautiful cause it's covered in flowers. Um, but that, that it's one of my most favorite States to go to for hiking. It just yeah. takes so long to get there. No glacier was a lot of fun. I, this, this crazy mountain range area sounds fun to hike so someday i'd yep. like to get back there and it was just so much farther to get to the other side i'd like to hike from like <laughs> yellowstone uh actually i'd you know we start in the tetons hit yellowstone hit the crazy mountains and end in glacier you right. do it in like three months i put in i put in for <laughs> permits to tetons oh did you i did i'll let you know if i get them okay we'll have to, we'll have to go do a show there yeah uh so exposure issues uh, the northern flanks of Crazy Mountain are gentler, and the vegetation is more lush, so there's a little bit more cover yeah. than the uh, rocky, precipitous southern reaches. So we definitely would want to be on the more lush side. Yes. Um, and there's just always the potential for extreme weather at higher elevations. So storms roll in in the afternoons. If you're exposed in general, not a good spot to be at. Yeah, extreme weather can happen in these types of environments. I know when I was doing the research for this uh, case, there's actually an avalanche warning not too far from here, not in the crazy mountain range, but just west, like probably 20 miles. So it can get gnarly. It can get pretty bad. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, anyone who's hiked in alpine environments knows to keep an eye on the sky. So it's difficult hiking in general. Scattered private land ownership, the rugged terrain, remote location. It's not somewhere you go car camp with the kids. It's you need to know what you're doing. You got to have the right gear. You got you got to know the area yeah. preferably or just be very cognizant of what you're doing. Yeah, most people probably aren't going to come hike here. You know, it's there's so many cool parks around here. So you've got like we said Glacier, Grand Tetons, um Yellowstone. I mean, those are all parks you should probably visit first. Um if you're hiking, it's like the locals get away when they're like sick of all yeah. the places they go to all the time. Yeah. Can it, you imagine getting sick of Glacier? Right. <laughs> what a, what a first world problem to have. All right. So let's get in the character profile. Um, there's not a lot here. So we'll just go over kind of his, his look and build a little bit. So Aaron Hedges was born in 1976. Uh, the date he went missing was, oh, what's nine, seven, September, September, 7th. September, September, <laughs> Oh, I should have known that. 9-11, never forget. September 7th, 2014. Uh, his remains were actually found on 8-8 of 2016. Spoiler alert. Spoiler, Spoiler alert. Yep. I can't talk. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, he's a male. Uh, he was age 38 at the time of his disappearance. Uh, his height, he was 6'1", 190 pounds. Uh, blue eyes, blonde or strawberry hair. He strawberry. Was, he was, what did I say? Strawberry. Strawberry. <laughs> 
It's because we're live. I'm just like, I had too much pressure. I'm, yeah, this is, I'm which is funny because we don't edit the show. No. So technically, we, we do it live every time. It's just a lot of pressure. Yeah. It's like people are watching, and there's only like six people watching. Seven, well, we, seven now. We've done no uh, advertising for this. We kind of are just, we just figured it out how to do it tonight. And like literally, we hit go and we heard the audience. We're like, all right, I guess we're going now. <laughs> yeah. All right. So <laughs> clothing is last thing. He hit a bow and arrow. Uh, he had a handgun. He had a walkie-talkie. Ooh, this is going to be interesting. And a cell phone. And he had, like, all of the other gear that you would have, like, hiking. So he had, like, a backpack. He had... It, it sounded like he had the proper clothing. He had boots and, you know, gear for... Well, his experience, he's a bow elk hunter. His friends were our hunters, uh, experienced woodsmen. Yeah. Uh, his experience in that location, uh, Hedges is familiar with the area and an avid outdoorsman. So this is the type of person where we do a lot of these shows where some of the people you can tell they're city slickers. They've never done it before. They make a myriad of mistakes. But these types of ones are always fascinating to us because when we come across people that know the area and know what they're doing... It's very odd. Yeah. So I'll leave it at that. Let's get into the timeline. Um, so yeah. Uh, so this was an interesting uh, case before I I get into the timeline. When I was researching this, Joe, I had a, t- I had a really hard time finding accurate information on timelines and dates for this case. So I, I started I started researching and obviously there's lots of news articles and I was going to a lot of our usual suspects for, I would say, you know, there's what there's websites out there that aren't what you'd say news sites, but they are pretty reputable uh, when it comes to reporting missing persons. And yeah, I kept, we like check up on what they report, and it's yeah. usually pretty. Or they say, and they usually put the sources too. So we'll go check out the sources and things like that. So I was coming across several of those sites that all had the same bad information about this case, and I started thinking to myself that. They must have gotten this from like some source document that was wrong. And I dug into it more and we don't talk about um, this guy or his work very often on the show, but uh, David Politis and the Missing 411 books, he had originally covered this case in one of his books in 2015. And then he actually had a documentary out on Amazon uh, with this case in it. And uh, pretty much all of the dates in his book, book on this case and in his uh, documentary were completely wrong. He had uh, events in his... You're calling, you're calling out Mr. Politis right now. On this this case. It, <laughs> you've I mean, done your homework? I've, I've literally looked up uh, statements from law enforcement on this case that contradict what he stated in his documentary okay. and his episode. Okay, good. Because like... Yeah, his full time job is this. Well, I <laughs> he mean, it's time to come after us if we're wrong. I obviously I find his work interesting, but this oh, we case, love his work. I don't know okay. how they ended up getting these dates so wrong. I don't know what happened, but it was kind of funny how a lot of people must have used his book and documentary. That's probably it because he's he seems like like a good person to go to for source documentation. Yeah, because it's his full time gig. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, it is what it is, uh, but. Just if you, if you go looking for information on this case out in the internet, be mindful that you're going to find a lot of, uh, you know, articles on it that are just wrong. And I had to go to news reports and then actually look up what law enforcement actually said about the case to get the correct dates. It was a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So this all started in September of 2014. So Aaron Hedges and his friends Greg Leitner and Joe DePoo. Uh, started a, I, I would say not a week long, but like a six day hunting trip 
uh, on September 5th of 2014 in the crazy mountains uh, of Montana. So they planned to start at the Cottonwood Creek Trailhead. Uh, that trail would go all the way up to Cottonwood Lake. And they were actually going to set up base camp at a lake closer, which was Campfire Lake. Now, I don't have the exact distances. So what I did was I went into Google Maps and I I plotted the locations that were mentioned in this case and tried to do kind of like a point to point distance. So it's not it's not an ac- accurate trail distance. So you know, I, it's a distance you'd say like as the crow flies. It's okay. like one of those distances. So the the point to point distance from the trailhead to Campfire Lake was roughly three point nine two miles. So uh, Aaron, like Joe was saying, was carrying a bow and arrow and a bow and arrows. And he had also a handgun. His friends were armed with rifles. So they were going out for a multi-day hiking excursion. Sounds kind of fun or a hunting excursion. Uh, the group had uh, two horses and a mule. And but for some reason, Aaron decided to walk in. So um, at some point between September 5th and September 7th, I was not able to determine the exact date or time this happened, but something spooked their mule and uh, it's, it started bucking and it started throwing their supplies uh, off in, in their kit and apparently Aaron's sleeping bag in it was in it. And now I don't really understand why they weren't able to recover the gear unless they were in some kind of environment where it went off the side of a cliff or something. Okay. So I don't understand why there was no explanation as to <clears throat> not that I could they find couldn't get their gear. Yeah. And the, I mean, like I said, the timeline for this case was so messed up in the research I did from the various sources. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what happened to the gear, but it was gone. So, okay. um, Aaron decided to, uh, so let me back, back up here a bit. Um, the group had previously hunted, uh, nearby here at a place called sunlight Lake. And this was just North of uh, Campfire Lake. And they'd actually left a supply cache there for emergencies in case someone needed to go, you know, and, you know, stay the night there or whatever. So Aaron decides to split, split off from the group and head to Sunlight Lake, which again, point to point was about 2.8 miles. And like I said, it's probably, it could be slightly longer, shorter, the actual trail distance. Um, I didn't have the exact distances. So I apologize for that. Um, how dare you? I know. Right. So, uh, fast forward to September 7th. Now between this is between 7 AM and 4 PM. So this is a Sunday. This would be the last communication and last time they would see Aaron. So like I said, Aaron decided to head towards sunlight Lake and try to uh, replace his lost sleeping bag. So he separated from the group. His friends um, would see him leave around 7 a.m. that morning. Um, the Sweetgrass County Sheriff's Lieutenant Alan uh, Ronenberg said the original plan was that he was going to go up to, to uh, that cache to get a sleeping bag and some other stuff and then come back. He radioed them that he had missed the turnoff and they told him he needed to come back uh, up the trail and come back to camp. This would be the last time they actually spoke to him. So they got him on the walkie-talkie. Yeah. He said he knew he missed the trail. Yep. So he was going to go back to hit, I'm guessing it was kind of like a, a fork that he just walked past. Yeah, it sounds like, so um, 
in my research, there were conflicting reports that the GPS, they had GPS Garmin walkie-talkies that actually showed um, GPS coordinates of each walkie-talkie. Oh, wow. I couldn't actually verify this with any of the law enforcement communications. Okay. So I don't know if it's true or not, but um, they, several of the these articles stated that on the GPS device, they noticed that he was just on the edge of the screen and he had wandered northeast of Sunlight Lake. So um, I actually created a Google map of the different points. So if you go to... I, I can't screen share without completely restarting my computer. <laughs> yeah, let's not do that. Um, so I'm not going to mess it up now, but now we know for next time we'll be ready. Just I'll be go, able to actually pull the stuff up. Just go to Google Maps and uh, while I'm talking and you can pull up uh, the Crazy Mountains area and then look up yeah. these different spots and okay. um, you'll see that uh, Sunlight Lake is just north. What I say, um, I think it's north just 2.8 miles, you know, point to point. So uh, not a, a big hike by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, 2.8 miles, you should be able to do that and head back, you know, same day, like yep. get your stuff, come back. So, um, he had, uh, Aaron had planned to return to the camp where his friends were staying that evening. So their camp was on sunlight Lake. No, no, no. uh, the cache, the supply cache was on sunlight Lake cash cash. Yeah, I thought you were saying case at first. No, cash. <laughs> um, no, so yeah, the, the cash was on Sunlight Lake. Okay. So I'm just checking our, our live feed. Sorry. Uh, we already had a comment, Joe. All right. Um, Nick D says the uh, terrain is real steep uh, hiking to the base camp. There was no chance in recovery of lost gear. So All right. we're that's gonna, great. We're, we're going to have to take Nick D's word for it. Yeah. So th this is going to be a new thing. We can't verify this stuff, but we're just going to trust him. We'll assume he's in from the area for right now. I kind of assumed if they, if the mule, you know, threw the guy's gear that it, it must've been unrecoverable. Cause why would you, I mean, if it well, just actually, went off the trail, a good way to think about it. Remember when we were in glacier and I busted my knee up and we were hiking out and we had those guys come by with their, their mule and they had their horses. Yeah. And we were, we were along that switchback. If any of those mule lost gear. Yeah. Uh, I agree with Nick. That would have been gone in that area we were at. Yeah. It was so, remember it was so narrow. We'd like hug the wall so they could get by. Yeah. So that would have totally been the thing. If they buck some gear, it would have been gone and you don't want to risk climbing down a sheer face to try and recover it. Yeah. So, um, he planned to return that evening. I said the conflicting report about the walkie talkies. Um, this is from September 10th of 2014. Um, a sergeant who interviewed the two hunters. So these are his two friends uh, noted that they spent most of the next day, Tuesday, the 9th traveling with the animals. So they had gotten some kills uh, to the original camp at the head of the trespass Creek near, uh, near to, and on the other side of the pass to campfire Lake. Uh, they spent the night there and then spent the day Wednesday, the 10th traveling to the trailhead at Cottonwood. So fast forward to September 10th of 2014. And that is when they were coming out. And it was also when a major snowstorm hit the area, uh, according to other reports that I had seen. And this, so again, <laughs> like I was saying, a lot of the reports I had seen said the snowstorm and including Politis's case said the snowstorm hit the day that uh, Aaron went missing, which is completely inaccurate because I have a, a, 
a note from the Park County Corporal, uh, one of the uh, law enforcement officers involved in the case. He wrote, I assumed incident, incident command at 700 hours on Thursday, September 11th, 2014, due to a significant weather event, which brought one of two feet of snow and very cold temperatures the previous evening, neither horse team was able to complete their search assignment. So whatever is said out on the internet about the storm happening earlier during the day he went missing is totally inaccurate. It happened several days after he was already last seen by his friends. So, okay. Um, but this, this snowstorm is a major complication for searchers. So, uh, some of our other cases we've had recently that it was pristine after they went missing. Two feet of snow really makes it hard to search. <laughs> like, like that's not easy to search in. No. Um, so uh, it's September 10th, 2014. Like I said, at some point before the 10th, his friends came to the realization that Aaron uh, was missing when he failed to return to camp. Um, there were reports that his friends spent a lot of time searching for him. Um, but like we, like I just said, that interview from law enforcement, they didn't spend any time searching for him. They continued hunting and then they dragged their, you know, their kills out on the 10th, the day that he was actually reported to law enforcement. So, um, there were also conflicting news reports about when, uh, Aaron was reported missing. An article from the great falls tribune states that his friends rode out on horseback on the 10th and reported him missing to authorities. However, the Mountain Pioneer reports similar facts, but they state his friends first contacted Aaron's wife, Christine Hedges, who then reports him missing to the Sweetgrass County Sheriff's Office. And then I did further research and actually found the communications from the Sheriff's Office. So they said at approximately 6.23 p.m. on September 10th, uh, Ms. Hedges called dispatch and reported Aaron missing. All right, they, so that's, that's verified. Verified. That part that's of the timeline is completely verified. From the Sheriff's okay. Department, yeah. So... Um, the Park County Sheriff, uh, Scott Hamilton goes on to say, it was my understanding that she had received a call from one or both of the guys who were, uh, with her husband. Uh, she's the one who contacted Sweetgrass County and they are the ones who referred it to us. Uh, Corporal Greg Todd, who heads up the Park County search and rescue said the duration between the time hedges went missing and the authorities being notified did, did raise some eyebrows, especially among amateur sleuths on social media who made instant unabashed accusations of foul play. Um, even uh, Ronenberg, who we mentioned earlier, an experienced bow hunter, did concede that the time lapse might seem peculiar. So, Peculiar? Could, uh, yeah, peculiar. I can't. <laughs> I'm so nervous about doing this on the live stream. <laughs> um, so, so they think the guys he was with was potentially responsible for his disappearance? Well, you know how the internet is and Twitter and... No, how's the internet? I <laughs> thought it was all people that care about each other. Twitter and, is a lovely, and they friendly get, They just place. get along and <laughs> everybody's just so peaceful and happy and shares useful information. Um, so uh, a lot of speculation when... So like he went miss... They last saw him at 7 a.m. on the 7th and he's not reported missing until the night of the 10th by his wife... Like his two friends don't even make the call. You can kind of see why people might start to assume foul play right away. Well, okay, but I'll go into okay. I, I, I'll, yeah. I'll hold. I'll hold. So <laughs> keep going. It. I'll go into this. Law enforcement eventually ruled out his friends as suspects in the case, and the his two friends also said, you know, the reason why we weren't able to get get this reported sooner was because um, the remoteness of the area. 
and the lack of cellular coverage, I would argue that if you're concerned your friend is missing, you call your hunt off and you either go look for him or you immediately head in to report him missing. Yeah. If you went missing on the seventh, I wouldn't keep hunting the eighth and ninth and then come out the 10th. And like, Oh yeah, by the way, Joe's missing. And did they say they knew he was missing uh, or, and this is, this is where I, they I, wa- I want to play devil's advocate. I yeah. don't want to try and lead anything. Cause I'm thinking if I'm with a group of, of guys and what's weird is I'm not saying it's correct, but I feel like I would treat the trip a little bit differently if we were hunting rather than camping, even though it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Just because I've gone on hunts with people where you eventually do split up. Yep. So if I knew you had gear, you just go into the cache, you have survival gear, you know what you're doing, you're familiar with the area, and we've got our walkie-talkies. You, yeah, no, you know what, never mind. Because he said he <laughs> missed the turn back, and he he did tell them he was trying to come he back. He was already turned around. He said he was turned around, and he said he was on his way back. So yeah. I changed my, I was going to say, like, maybe they would have thought, oh, maybe he's saw an animal and was like hunting it. Yeah. So then they're like, Hey, he's got GPS. He's got a walkie talkie. He's got, and he's got a gun. He's got a bow. He's got gear. Like I would kind of consider that fine. You remember in West Virginia when, uh, you like disappeared out of, out of our site for like 20 minutes and we started walking around looking for you because it's unusual for like, we could, we looked 360 degree. Could how, see how ironic you. would that be? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I was thinking, we, we were talking, we we're like, all right, if he doesn't show back up in an hour, we're going to tell someone that our friend's missing. Yeah. It's unusual for you to just disappear. Yeah, like and I that. thought you guys went back down the trail. So I went down the trailhead to the yeah, car and then I went all the way to the car, saw you weren't back and I came back and then found you. And, and that, well, no. And then you, I think we got a text through eventually. Oh yeah. But, uh, and so, that was a small park. Yeah. That was like nothing. That yeah. was like a 20 minute. So thing. if this were me and we're out in a very remote part of Montana and you had already radioed us that you, you got turned around, I would probably be like, all right, let's just call the hunt off. I would probably go up the trail looking for you. And if I didn't, I'd probably go to the supply, the supplies where they should wait there for a night. And if you didn't show up, I'd hike straight out and notify the authorities. That's what I would do. So either Nick D who's watching is either like an expert on this case or he's just very convincing. He's saying they hunted the area in the past. So it didn't ring the alarm immediately. No, that's true because they had that supply, yeah. those supplies at uh, sunlight. And that's kind of what I was, Lake. I was alluding to that before I even read that. Like, Hey, maybe this is like, I think like, again, like if, if we went to a local area around here that I had hunted previously before and kind of knew it real well and, yeah. and everyone I was with knew the area Maybe I wouldn't freak out so much if you just didn't show up when you say you were gonna. Yeah. You know, it's like I said, hindsight's twenty twenty. We are, you know, armchair quarterbacking this entire story. So I don't want to like immediately say like, oh, that was suspicious. They didn't say he was missing right away. Yeah. But okay, go on. We don't have to well let's let's go through the story. Boy, that squeaky I'm gonna spray something on it. Here, <laughs> I'll you keep going, I'm gonna switch chairs. Okay, switch chairs. <laughs> um, so like I said, uh, he was reported missing by uh, his wife the evening of the 10th. And this is, again, a quote from Park County Sheriff Scott Hamilton. He said, by the time we were notified and were able to spin up, the weather had hit. So we're dealing with two feet of snow in the mountains. The continuing storm made air search searching difficult for the first day or two. Uh, and then he goes, actually impossible. So this goes back to, Joe, what we always say, like the first... 24 to 48 hours in a missing person's case in the wilderness are 
incredibly vital. And that's without giant snowstorms. That's without major weather events. Uh, So just the fact that they, you know, weren't able to report this case sooner. Now he, he could have still been alive by the 10th. And if he was, that snowstorm probably was what did him in. If you have gear and well, even if there's a snowstorm, if you got a good tent and you got your sleeping bag and enough, enough food, you could could hunker down and, you know, use the snow to insulate potentially. That's if you have a tent. Yeah. And I'm wondering if he didn't have one. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. So a full blown search and rescue effort kicked off on the 10th of September in 2014 so search crews entered from uh, the Park County side, focusing their efforts on the area that stretches from the Cottonwood Lake Trail to Trespass Creek, which we said was near Campfire Lake. Uh, according to authorities, the hunters had begun their trip at the Cottonwood Lake uh, Trail, like I said earlier. Corporal Greg Todd uh, is quoted here saying, we got two feet of snow and it was snowing hard. We actually deployed a horse team based on what we, at, we had initially. They made it in as far as they could, maybe even further than they should have, uh, and then they came back out. It was snowing hard. The temperatures dropped 35 degrees. It was tough, very cold, very wet, probably in the teens, if I remember right. The horse team got back well after dark, but we didn't search in the darkness in the snow uh, because that's not safe. The horse team was our initial response, he added, but we had dog teams and foot teams the next day. So according to law enforcement sources, the search would eventually include 20 dog teams, seven horse teams, 59 ground searchers, a technical high elevation team, a National Guard uh, helicopter and private helicopters, all equipped with uh, night vision equipment and spotlights. So they had a lot of people in the field for this search and mm-hmm. um, they mobilized, you know, as quickly as they could based on the when he was reported missing and the weather. So. Um, and if you go on Google earth, like I said, I can't share right now, but you can see the cottonwood Creek trail very, very well from satellite. So it's, there's some, there's some cover and some foliage, but you can really make out the trail very easily along the Creek. Yeah. So, um, it's like a beautiful area. No, it does look cool. So the, uh, like I said, the SAR mission, uh, they searched an extensive area, you know, in the crazy mountains east of uh, Wilsale. Hamilton says they also attempted to ping Hedge's cell phone without success. Uh, and then here's a, an interview they did on the 12th with his friends. So during an interview on September 12th, the two friends explained that they thought Hedges was probably deceased. Uh, the sergeant asked them why they uh, felt this way, and they answered that Aaron was Uh, not in his right state of mind. And the sergeant notes that the two friends did not feel he had the skills to survive in the area in inclement weather. weather. So conflicting information there because we, you know, a lot of people stated that he was an experienced outdoorsman. He's a bow hunter. But, you know, now his friends are stating that they don't even think he's alive on the 12th. That's not even a week after he went missing. That's giving me a little red flags, but and I'm not going to bring up any theories just yet. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, so now they're bringing up the the possibility that he was not in his right state of mind. Does that mean suicidal? Does that mean he purposely went missing to, you know, start a new life? We don't know. Um so a corporal had talked to the two friends on September 11th and he told them this so this is another weird part of this story. So a corporal it's like I said a corporal talked to the friends on September 11th. And he told them to stay out of the search area and um, the instructions that, you know, they decided to ignore. So his two friends ignored the search officials and they 
they uh, went back to Sunlight Trailhead where they had talked to a deputy and a second corporal. The two friends told the deputy and the second corporal that they were going to Sunlight Lake where they had an old you know, supply cache. And uh, the deputy tried to discourage them from going because he did not want them to complicate the search effort. And you know, the deputy also said that the weather was still pretty bad. So his friends ignored the advice by the law enforcement officials and headed up to Sunlight Lake. And they spent the night there and didn't find him, didn't see him. And then they returned to, uh, you know, back to uh, the SAR people and said they didn't see him. But I just find that kind of that weird. I don't know if that seems weird to you, Joe, but why on the 12th would you go back in there? And, you know, like Sunlight Lake is like the epicenter of where the search is. Like, (laughs) yeah, I mean, if he's around Sunlight Lake, they're going to find him. Yeah, and they, yeah. If he's alive, so I don't know that that seemed weird to me. His friends are all of a sudden just acting squirrely in general. Yeah, <laughs> like not listening to the officials, not listening to the people who are arguably the experts in that area. Yeah, if you're a search and rescue in Montana, I'm sure you're you're pretty seasoned. Yeah, it, it that's some legitimate backcountry. So, uh, fast forward now to September 17th, and there's a big break in the case. So, uh, you know. Several days into the search, they actually find several belongings of Aaron's. So boots were found uh, east of Sunlight Lake, close to the creek and falls. Um, They were set intentionally side by side. Uh, Close by was a camelback water bladder, and just off the trail was a fire pit with a partially burnt uh, cigarette pack, a fire bundle, two waist belts from a backpack that had been cut off uh, were also located, uh, but despite an extensive search, nothing else was found. Uh, the tube connecting to the bladder had been removed, causing searchers to believe that Aaron had tried to drink uh, water. Um, puzzlingly, though, the searchers uh, were in the same spot a day or two before and didn't come across the items. So when I went on the Google Earth, this general location was about 1.1 miles east, uh, 1.1 miles west of Sunlight Lake. So... It's it's odd that searchers had searched that area the day before and didn't find anything, and then all of a sudden this gear was found. I mean, they could have missed it. It's yeah. I wonder, like, with with how much the snow cover? Two feet of snow is a lot of snow. Yeah. Like, did they? Is the snow melted a little bit? Did, yeah. Like you said, did they just miss it the first time? Yeah. Okay. So, and then this is, this is the official communication from law enforcement because there is, like I said, this whole case is riddled with inaccuracies on the internet. So, um, a Park County corporal notes at approximately 1300 hours, SAR command was advised. The teams had located several items of interest near the campsite due to recent snowstorms in the area. It was not possible to determine the age of the fires also found in the area where blue rubber camp, uh, were a blue rubber camelback brand water bladder partially filled with liquid, an MSR water purifier pump, several small pieces of a cigarette carton with edges burned. One of the pieces had the word spirit on it and a pair of Wolverine brand camouflage uh, Gore-Tex hunting boots, size 10. And they later determined that this gear was, in fact, Aaron's. So um, that part of me, that leads me to think that he might have been alive when the snowstorm hit. And, uh, yeah, try to get a fire going or something like, maybe and then realized that hypo he, hypo 
hypothermia kicked in and he started, you know, paradoxical undressing yep. and started taking items of clothing off like his boots. But what happened, Maybe. what happens next would make it, makes it even more strange. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so fast forward now to September 22nd, 2014, the even despite finding those items, the search is scaled back. So, uh, until they receive more information. So, uh, it just shows you that these searches can't go on forever. Even when they find stuff, um, at some point they have to scale it back. So, and they had a lot of manpower in the field for this, this search. I mean, that's, you know, 20 dog teams, a bunch of horse teams, helicopters, Alpine, you know, specialized Alpine teams. Mm -hmm. So it gets weirder, Joe. (laughs) And let's check. That's why we do this. Check up on the live stream. Um, uh, No new questions. Nope. (laughs) Uh, So, all right, let's jump forward one year to uh, June 19th, 2015, around 3 p.m. A butcher from this town of Powell named Roger, uh, I'm going to butcher this one, Blasanowicz, uh, finds items belonging to Aaron several miles away from the area that was extensively searched. Uh, about two or three miles from his daughter's and son-in-law's uh, home, uh, Roger found a bow, backpack, field gear, and a hunting license with Hedge's name on it. He made a fire around, or he made the find around 3 p.m. June 19th, about 30 to 40 miles north of Big Timber, Montana. So if you're looking at a map of this region. And big, I am. Big Timber is, I would say, a little bit southeast of the Crazy Mountains. And 30 to 40 miles north of Big Timber would put you in the general area of Rhine Lake. Okay. Which, um, th- when I did some measurements on Google, you know, point to point, that's about 21 miles east of Sunlight Lake. So how did, so Aaron would have gone from his base camp to Sunlight Lake. Then he went about a mile west, ditched his boots, and then traveled all the way over to this new area where more of his gear was found, potentially during a massive snowstorm. We don't know what time, you know, maybe he traveled to this location first and then back to Sunlight Lake. And where, where was this, what was the name of the location where they, the farther one away? So, that, um, is it, was it by any, like. No, they just said it was, um, this guy named Roger found uh, this gear about 30 to 40 miles north of Big Timber, Montana. Okay, I'm just trying, I'm using the. So, I, I, I generalized want, I it around kilometers. Rhine Lake. So, find Rhine Lake, which is about, which is northeast of yeah. Crazy Mountains. Yeah, I'm going 40 miles right off of Big Timber. So, um, like I said, you know, point to point, I don't, I didn't calculate what it would be actually on a trail, but point to point, that's 21 miles from Sunlight Lake, roughly. That's a lot of distance to cover, potentially without boots on. Yeah. We don't, like I said, we don't know the timeline at this point of which location he may have gone to first. Did he ditch his gear? there and then hike all the way down to the sunlight lake area and then ditch his boots. But that wouldn't make sense based on where his remains were found, which I'll get into. <laughs> so, yeah, this is wild. Cause uh, the, 
I mean, there's not major cities in the area, but there's like these little towns kind of all over where this area should be. Yeah. This is weird. All so, right, keep going. Yeah, keep going. Um, Roger goes on to say, uh, uh, the first thing I thought was it was a bear and the hair stood on my back. Uh, he goes on to say, but that theory quickly disproven. So he gathered up and gathered the gear up and thinking it was just lost. He goes on to say, if it was mine, I would want someone to pick it up. My conclusion was some out of town or out of state hunter got cold and uh, tired and went home. When he returned to the house, he said uh, jokingly to uh, Charlie Rain, if any hunters had gone missing recently and Charlie just nodded and stared. (laughs) So uh, searchers were notified of this gear that was found and uh, they, the sweet grass County Sheriff's office uh, investigated the scene later that night and a grid search was conducted the following day, but nothing else uh, was found other than the gear that Roger picked up uh, around two or three miles from the Rain's home. So uh, it's just very weird. The location was several miles away and outside of where Hedges was permitted to hunt and it was on private property. Some of the items found in the fall, but uh, nowhere near where uh, Roger found most of the equipment. So again, this is a rare case for us where we have multiple locations where gear from the same person is found. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, nothing else was discovered in 2015. So now we're going to fast forward to August 5th of 2016. Uh, so um, on August 5th, 2016, near the Sweetgrass Ranch, some guests found a skull underneath a dead tree. Now, I did a little, you know, some calculations. Again, not actual trail distance, but kind of just a point to point. Like as the crow flies? As the crow flies. Uh, This is about 9.22 miles east of Sunlight Lake. So that could easily be like 20 miles hiking because of switchback, going back and forth. Yeah, or it could be shorter. Well, no, it won't be short. No, because th- yeah, that would make sense. You calculated the shortest distance possible. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Um, so, at the end of the timeline, I kind of I'd give a real quick recap of all the distances I calculated, and it it really doesn't make sense when you hear them all after each other. But so, uh, law enforcement was shown the skeletal remains of the skull, and then began a systematic search of the area where they uncovered less. Less than 80% of Hedges' skeleton, all within 50 to 70 yards. The majority of the remains were concentrated in a 20-yard area. The spread of the remains were not atypical, according to Undersheriff Alan uh, Ronenberg. Uh, He goes on to say, you have to consider that uh, he has the possibility, or uh, he says, you have to consider that he has the possibly been there over a year. Uh, Within that year, you have weather events, predation, scavenging, everything from ants to bears. So that makes sense. Um, he, he go he went on to say at the time, it's still an ongoing investigation. We're going, uh, are we going to be able to tell what the man died from? Probably not. Um, he said there wasn't any bullet holes in the skull. There's nothing else that we can see. A forensic pathologist will look to see if there's any knife wounds on the bones or hatchet marks, but I'm guessing it's going to go down to go down as one of those mysteries. So obviously they didn't notice any, uh, they didn't notice any, you know, trauma, on his remains when they, you know, picked him up. So, uh, no broken bones or anything like that. So, and obviously Uh, they found less than 80% of his remains. So we don't know if they found like all of his leg bones or arm bones. We don't know for sure that he didn't 
break something before he died. That's to say, that's kind of a weird thing to make, like a statement to make when you don't have 100% of the remains. Right. <laughs> like, it doesn't look like it was foul play. We're missing 20% of the body. Yeah. It's and like, they don't say do which, yeah. I, I couldn't find which parts of the remains were missing. Yeah, but to me, that's like how you know that wasn't what did him in. Yeah. <laughs> like, like the 20% that's missing might be a key factor in him going missing. True. So uh, landowner Rebecca Rain described a location where the items were found as full of pine trees, broken down branches, and tall grass. She says it's pretty low where it was actually. Uh, it wasn't too far off Rain Road. We just would never have guessed it was that close. He could see the house. So he was. Hmm. He died in an area that was. Now, my I've got some theories. I've got a couple theories. I'm waiting to finish. Yeah, so I, I'm almost <laughs> done here, I promise. Uh, but it's interesting that he died near a road and within view of a house, but I'll leave it at that for now. Okay. (laughs) So, um, what, what do we have theories from law enforcement and friends? Uh, we've got a couple of theories just from law enforcement and I mean, probably can guess. Even though we're like way at this point already, I should explain for new people tuning into the show, um, how we do this. Uh, format. If you haven't listened to any other episodes, typically one of us will research the story and the other person comes into it kind of blind. So I am the blind party here. This is the first time I'm hearing it. So I'm kind of listening for the first time with you guys. And that's why I ask all the <laughs> questions because I literally don't know. So continue, uh, Mike. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I'll just wrap it up with a quote from, let's see here, um, Sweetgrass County Under Sheriff Alan Roenberg. Um, he, write, he, he said he was very close, but just, just didn't quite get there. Um, and police believe he may have passed up the opportunity for shelter out of fear of getting caught for trespassing. Uh, he says all three hunters were known for trespassing and poaching. So there is an interesting aspect to that. Um, when Christine Hedges initially reported her husband missing, she told dispatch he had entered the area by trespassing on Park County on the Park County side. So... Uh, they, it, it sounds like they had some fear of being caught by local landowners. And I know, you know, people out West, uh, you know, take trespassing pretty seriously. It's not, it's not like out here. If you go in somebody's lawn, they, they say hi to you. Like I would be careful doing it out West. You might get shot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, so just to recap, some events so you we can kind of like summarize this because it the the path that Aaron took and where his stuff was found makes absolutely no sense to me so the group heads off from Cottonwood Creek Trail uh, with their original destinations you know a base camp around Campfire Lake which like I said is roughly 3.92 miles um, you know from the trailhead to where their base camp was. Aaron separates from the group uh, early on the morning of the 7th. He planned to head to Sunlight Lake to pick up some reserve gear, which is roughly about 2.8 miles from their base camp to Sunlight Lake. At some point on the 7th, Aaron misses the fork and radios his friends that he's, he didn't say he was missing, but he just said that, or lost, he just said he missed the fork. At some point during the search, Aaron, you know, on the 17th, Aaron's boots and gear are discovered east of Sunlight, or not east, west of Sunlight Lake near Sunlight Creek. Uh, this is roughly about 1.1 miles west. 
The following June, more of Aaron's gear is discovered between 30 and 40 miles north of Big Timber in the Rhine Lake area, which is roughly 21 miles east of Sunlight Lake. Finally, in August of 2016, his remains are found in the Sweetgrass Ranch area, which is roughly 9.22 miles east of Sunlight Lake and 3.7 miles south of Rhine Lake, um, at where some of his gear was previously found the year before. In all, Aaron potentially traveled 7.8 miles before ditching his boots and then traveled another 24.7 miles, roughly from where he left his boots, to the Rhine Lake area where he ditched more gear and then headed south before finally dying. Uh, to me, none of that makes any sense. And I don't, we don't and know. It's way longer than that too. I'm just, I'm tracing, like you're doing crow fly distances. Yeah, crow fly like, distance. <laughs> now, looking at the map and I, I really wish I had screen share pulled up because I like totally drew this out on Google Earth. But like I'm going from like where his base camp originally was. He would have had to go over two peaks to get the Sunlight Lake, or go completely around, which yeah. would be going around just to get the Sunlight Lake is six miles mm -hmm. to go from where their base camp should be, then tool around, go back down. That makes it another nine miles. And I'm trying to trace along kind of like, hey, this is uh, like roughly what a, a path would look like. It's a significant amount of hiking. Yeah. Hold on, let me let me do this starting point there. Three miles. Yeah, a oh, there. sorry. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> Five miles back down. Yeah, it's How many just, miles did you guess he would have to travel? About 24.7 after ditching his boots. Assuming that's the correct timeline. Yeah. Like I okay, said. No, no, you know what? You're right. I think it's like I'm getting like 26, 27 miles. So, and to be fair too, when you're going east, it is all downhill with the exception of going so it would be faster and easier. Yeah. You can cover downhill ground in a mountain range real quickly. Yeah. And if so this guy is... You how, know, how many days was it before the, after, before the storm hit from when he was, like, missing? So he went missing sometime on the 7th. They last talked to him on the radio in the afternoon or early evening on the 7th. And then the snowstorm hit sometime on the evening of the 10th. So, this, you know, you have the 8th and 9th and most of the day on the 10th, and then bad weather came in. Okay. And if he's, you know, traveling light, there's lots of water around there. Um, it's not inconceivable if he, to if he follows, cover that distance. Yeah, if he follows Bruin Creek all the way from Sunlight Peak out, you could do that in, like, being conservative, 10, 11 hours. Yeah. Because it's downhill. And, and here's the deal. I'm going off Google Earth. So, like, I'm getting the 3D look, but it is downhill. Yeah. And I'm just trying to think of every time I've gone to Colorado, some peaks that take me, you know, me not being someone who lives out there and does 14ers all the time. Yeah. It'll take me two days to get up to a peak and because I'm doing it comfortably. I can get off that peak back to my car in, like, four hours. Yeah. because If you're going back down sometimes. So, but the whole question then would be if he's got GPS, if he knows what he's doing, he didn't have a map. Did they say he had a map? I don't know they if he had mention. a map. I would assume. Well, I can't assume that. People don't yeah. always carry maps. But there's there's the reality that once he gets out here, it's really flat and open. Mm -hmm. When he gets out to the point where he's going to that lake, where they, like near where his final remains are, yeah. Rhine Lake, um, it's fairly flat and open. So if there's a ranch or 
there's trails everywhere. Yeah. Like not natural, like clearly straight trails. I don't see why it would be too difficult to find your way to that ranch from where he was. Well, and what doesn't make sense is we don't know where, which location he went to first after he was reported missing. So we don't know if he ditched his boots first or we do know that he died at Sweetgrass Ranch, or at least. So, so Nick D, our, our commenter expert, said he had the storm in his back and there was a map on his Garmin device. So provided that he didn't run out of battery in his Garmin, he should have, I mean, he had GPS. Yeah. So he was going the complete opposite way of where his base camp was supposed to be. Yeah, and I, I've used GPS I'm, out in the woods. and I'm wondering if he had an accident and died and his remains got down there via animal. Yeah. Like uh, a mountain lion was like, because where they found, they said, didn't they say they found some of his remains kind of under some stuff, like in some foliage? Um, like, could that just be predators yeah, moving body parts? Or, I don't know. They don't know. Okay. Um, I guess, so just quickly, because we're kind of gone over our time on this one. Um, Technically, it's whatever time we want it to be. That's true. <laughs> so just to wrap that up, I, I think we don't know. We do know is where his remains are found. We don't even know if that's, where he actually died. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Like, like that's real far away. Um, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to hike there within a, the amount of time the storm came up on him. Yeah. But the way his friends were acting was a little weird that, yeah. that gave me some pause. Well, it's so I did put a couple snippets in here from actual law enforcement reports to kind of exonerate his friends. So, okay. Uh, the first statement was, it's important to note that the two friends are not suspects in this case. Uh, oh, there you have it. <laughs> there you go. We're done. It's over. No. Um, uh, the police uh, chief is, is is one of his friend's dad. One was extremely forthcoming and cooperative, and he did not appear to be deceptive in any of his answers. He even handed over his uh, phone to investigators. Uh, the second friend was initially less talkative, but he sat down with detective in March of 2015 and told him his version of events. The sergeant stated, at this time, the evidence at hand and the interviews I have conducted with uh, both friends lead me to believe that there was no foul play on the part of either uh, the friends in Hedges' disappearance. So law enforcement ruled out his friends in foul play, um, jumping right into theories. Um, obviously, you know, law enforcement basically said, you know, it was hypo hypothermia exposure and that kind of makes sense in the sense that they were finding his gear all over the place. Mm -hmm. uh, we obviously, we don't know that the timeline of it. Did he ditch his boots first? Did he ditch some of his gear up by the Rhine Lake area first? We don't know that, but he was taking his gear off because his boots were found miles and miles and miles away from his remains and other gear was found, you know, several miles away from where his remains were found. So that is a plausible theory. So I just learned a new feature on this thing live. Uh, check it out. So Nick D says he was going through withdrawals due to alcoholism, so he was disoriented. That's what his friend meant when he said he wasn't in the right state of mind. Oh. Nick, you're going to have to email us and give us a little <laughs> more background on why you know so much about this case. Because, well, <laughs> well I, seriously, I want to like, A, I want to verify that you do know because I'm giving you a lot of credit live here. Uh, but then I'd love to, A, follow up and give you a shout out formally on maybe the next episode. Cool. And it's we're learning new stuff. Do you see how I popped up the message on the screen? That <laughs> yeah. was pretty sweet. You just click on it and it shows on there. Wow. <clears throat> um, well, so 
I think, uh, if, yeah, I guess if he's coming down, um, you know, to, you know, he's an alcoholic and he's suffering withdrawals out in the wilderness. That, that, yeah, that could, impair. depending on how bad of an alcoholic he was, that could be very, you know, traumatic. Well, you think about what your body's going through already. And if he gets lost and then he oh, maybe he, is incapacitated enough, he can't set up a camp. Nick said he read the uh, police report. Ah, but still, I want to know why you are even involved in that so much. <laughs> it's the guy who did it. He's um, on, he's on, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I, that's, I think that plays a role in it. Cause usually when you think about these types of cases, there's always kind of that one linchpin that when it's pulled, everything kind of just starts going and unraveling. Yeah. So if he's a recovering alcoholic per Nick, so we're going to assume Nick D comment uh, is correct. Yeah. And that I haven't read this police report that said that. Um, so let's just assume that that's correct as one of the theories. Um, and he's already kind of lost. I think I'm starting to kind of go with what you said. Maybe he started uh, getting hypothermia because he's already in withdrawal. Yeah. It's escalating that situation, goes through some paradoxical undressing, um, starts wandering around kind of aimlessly. And if it's warm enough, you're not going to collapse immediately. So mm -hmm. wandering around downhill for several miles, yeah, I don't think seems very implausible. Yeah. I mean, that is, uh, I think... Uh, I think that's a very plausible uh, explanation. Um, I was also kind of going the, the foul player out, not with his friends, but that something happened where somebody killed him and maybe dumped his body where his remains are found because it was close to a road. So why? And why would they do it there? Because you could see the house that those people. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like what close. the motive would be, like trespassing. Only thing I can think of is a landowner angry that they've been trespassing and poaching on their private property. Cause they were, it was mentioned that they've both, they've trespassed and poached before in the past. Okay. So, so in a small town where everybody might know everybody in the area and they know these guys are always causing problems. Cranky landowner that literally is like, you got, you come on my property. I'm going to shoot you. I could, you know, maybe, Yeah. but why would you dump a body near somebody's house? I mean, it's Montana. It's so open and remote. There's literally millions of other places. <laughs> you could go literally you could do that. anywhere. <laughs> Not in front of somebody's house. Yeah. So I think I kind of just blew my own theory Okay, up. So, so what do you think happened? Just final. I think he... I, I agree with the commenter on YouTube that <laughs> he, he got lost. He, if he's a, a severe alcoholic, he was having severe withdrawals. And it caused him to not think clearly. And he started wandering around before the snowstorm hit. And then this massive snowstorm hits, dumps two feet of snow on the area. He has already walked out of the search area. Yeah, if he doesn't have his gear or he's missing critical items, that's yeah. game over real quick. I mean, he may have, he may have in those couple days that from when he was reported missing to or when he was last seen to when he was reported missing, may have completely wandered out of the search area. And then the snowstorm hits and now he's, you know, dumping gear like and maybe he had a second pair of boots with him. Maybe he, something happened to those boots. He dumped them off at the creek and he had another pair of boots at the supply cache, though. His friends did mention, I forgot to say this in the episode, that when they went back to the supply cache on the 12th, I believe, or the 11th, that none of the gear had been taken. OK, so, so he either might... he didn't take the gear or he never showed up there. Wow. So. 
we don't I I think it's safe to say based on the statements from the the friends made to law enforcement, he never showed up at the supply cache. I think that's fair. So because even if you're like in a withdrawal stupor, you might still like met like open it up, pull some things out. How many whatever. people hike with a spare set of boots in their pack? They're yeah. so heavy. I've never yeah, died. I, I haven't. So you got to assume once he took his boots off I have my camp Crocs yeah. <laughs> that everyone makes fun of me for, but they weigh nothing and they're yeah. wonderful. So, I mean, you got to assume that he, uh, he probably took his boots off and then was for a period of time walking around without boots on, but it wouldn't make sense for that to happen until he got hypothermic. All right. Stop contradicting yourself. What do you think happened? <laughs> I think, I think he uh, succumbed to exposure from hy- you know, hypothermia from paradoxical undressing and he wandered out of the search area, which is why he wasn't found sooner. <laughs> I, I, um, I'm going to agree with you. Yeah, wow. I, I, I do. I don't have an alternative <laughs> theory. I was immediately kind of going down the foul play route. Yeah. Um, and, uh, like you, I think a lot of that just kind of fell off. There's too much pointing the opposite. I still think it's weird. They made that call right away when they didn't find all of his remains, but yeah, I mean, things that stick out to me as strange is why didn't the friends drop their hunting trip and go report him missing? Um, obviously why is his gear? If they f- trespass and poach, they might not be the, the they, best yeah. people. The most yeah. like, cause it, it, think about how we think about people. We think about people, how we think about people <laughs> and we're, we're not, well, I like to think we're not terrible people. Like we wouldn't do that, but there are yeah. some pretty bad people, not bad, but just like inconsiderate kind of yeah. eh, people. So maybe they're just like, ah, screw that guy. Like, he, uh, we're not going to ruin our hunt. He's going to get lost. Like they yeah. probably thought that maybe he's just camping somewhere and just being a jerk, like, and just finished. I don't know. Yeah. I don't I, know. I'm with you. I think it was a mix of kind of like a perfect storm. Like he's, if he's going through the alcohol withdrawal, again, we're trusting the comments of Nick D the YouTuber. Um, so unverified yet. Um, we'll have to get a hold of that police report. I'm interested to read that. Yeah. I didn't find that. Um, online when I was but I'm gonna, I'm gonna assume he he gave us a lot of details pretty dang quick as we were talking so yeah. unless he if he's making it up he's really good at it so I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna trust him for right now um I think it has to do with the withdrawal getting lost stuff like that like clearly he wasn't in a right state of mind per yeah. his friend like if he's going through that um that I think that could be enough out in the wilderness to get you lost enough to cause problems and then if it just keeps spiraling from there game over yeah uh, well, open and shut case. We solved it. <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't. In case we, we didn't solve it. We no, come we back didn't. later. But uh, hey, thanks for tuning into our show. Our first uh, live stream show ever. Apologize so. if we sound a little, a I little don't. flustered. I don't, I don't apologize. Uh, Joe apologizes uh, But we, we, no we appreciate all of you for <laughs> listening and sharing locations unknown with your friends and family. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, you are on YouTube channel now, so you know we have that. So subscribe. Give us some a uh, lot of stars if you think we deserve it or if we screwed up. Come back to a different show and give us the better, uh, the better look then. Uh, if you want to support us monetarily, you can sign up for YouTube. You can go on Patreon. You can go to our Facebook or website store to buy some of the merch and cool swag that we have. Um, outside of that, just remember when enjoying the beauty of nature, whether backpacking, camping or just taking a walk to always remember to leave no trace thanks and we will see you all next time